Would you, uh, would you pray with me a moment, please? Father God, we thank you again for the opportunity you give us to be engaged in the lives of, of people. And uh, people that we know, people that we've come to know, people who we don't really know. And we thank you so much for uh, giving us that opportunity to share uh, what you mean to us and uh, the importance of that. We pray that you would just bless our time uh, this morning as we open your word. Help us to put aside the distractions of, of the things that are on our heart and on our minds and be able to hear you speak to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, one of the other things, too, that I, I failed to mention um, because of Amara's uh, schedule, she and many of the softball players have a very hard time going on any of our mission trips, but Gabe has gone on a couple of our mission trips. And uh, I apologize, Merle, for the shocks that you had to put back in the motorhome. Um, <laughs> Gabe, Gabe was sleeping on the back of that uh, bed in the back of Merle and Thelma's motorhome uh, a couple of years ago, and, and uh, I think uh, Merle had to replace the shocks from, from Gabe bouncing up and down on that... Uh, <laughs> he said he never flew so high. <clears throat> he got air. Um, but Merle and Thelma, I, I really appreciate you guys a lot, too, and for the many years that you've been involved in our ministry and taking time to go on mission trips and encourage young men and women and to, to show God's love to them. It's just been so awesome. And by the way, it was Thelma's birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Thelma. Yeah. And it's just people like that that come into our lives um, that I've gotten to know and uh, just are very close and uh, have had an impact on my faith and encouraged me along the way. And that's what I want to just spend a few moments this morning on. Uh, looks like I got about another 45 minutes. Okay. Um, we'll try to, we'll try to, uh, to, to hit the, the important parts. Um, but uh, turn with me to... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, um, please do that. Um, we're going to look at uh, uh, a few verses there and uh, consider what Paul had experienced and how that might apply to us. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you have hold firmly to the word that I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, 
but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what we believe, what you believed. All people everywhere, uh, as Gabe mentioned, you know, when you come into uh, a university campus, and Amar has experienced that too, uh, we're, looking, we're looking for a, f- a way to find and make sense of life. And that's what religion and philosophers, philosophies, they try to do. There's, there's so many different world religions out there. People look all across the range of human experience and longing, and they think about life's big questions, and they look at the way things are, and they try to find a blanket explanation to lay over it all. Sadly, it's happening even within some of our churches. We've, we've taken things from the world and tried to, to make them part of the church and to replace the Word of God. Progressive Christianity is rampant, and it has infiltrated many churches and has misled many as to what is true about the Word of God. And that becomes their religion, their philosophy of life, and, and they try to make sense of life by that. But there are two, there are two related historical events. They're epic monumental events that won't fit into any of these kind of blanket philosophies or world religions. The first is the death of Jesus of Nazareth, the self-proclaimed Son of God. And the second is his literal and bodily resurrection from the dead three days later, never to die again. And here in this text this morning, Paul explains what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. It wasn't something that Jesus just all of a sudden made up. It was prophesied about. It was talked about for years. And that's the bottom line. Stripped of meaning, the historical fact says that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on a Roman cross. And verse 3 tells us what that means, that Christ, God's Messiah, God's Son, the Messiah for the world, died for our sins, your sins and my sins. Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the great delivering king God had promised long ago to Israel. But instead of liberating Israel from the Romans, he was killed, stone cold dead. He was buried in a tomb, just like dead people are, always buried in a tomb. But the significance is that he died as a willing sacrifice. He died as a willing sacrifice. Not as a helpless victim. But he did it to enable God to justly forgive sinners like me and for you. And to give us a safe and loving relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. This happened all according to the scriptures. And that's why we know it is an event that means something. The Bible tells us what Jesus' death means. 
The second event that demands meaning is God raising Christ from the dead. On that third day, just as it was told, just as it was prophesied. And this too was according to the scriptures. God had long signaled that it would be this way, not only in a few specific Old Testament Old Testament references to resurrection, but in all the ways that God spoke of his Messiah being a conquering and triumphant king to deliver his people, to give life eternal. It's just that no one ever really imagined that his or her national deliverer would have the nerve to take on death. To take on the Romans? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's overthrow the government. Let's set things right. But to take on death wasn't really heard about. That was an enemy that no one dreamed that even God's Messiah could conquer. The proof is that Jesus really died was that he was buried. That's an important part in, in the narrative. That's one of the main reasons why he was buried is that it's so important. The proof that Jesus rose again is in the multitude of witnesses that we read about in the text. Witnesses in a variety of settings that Jesus appeared to and talked with and walked alongside of and ate with. In that group were deniers and doubters and the disheartened. And one, particularly Paul, hated Jesus his, his life before Christ, he was the guy that was, was going to arrest people and put him in prison and seek to have him killed. These people weren't any more gullible than you or an I. And they all would attest to the fact of Jesus' resurrection, but also its meaning that Jesus is the Lord of all. And some, some died rather than recant that statement. When really pushed, when cornered, they would not deny that Jesus is who he says he was. That's pretty radical. I don't know sometimes if we, we bother to reflect on how radical this resurrection was. It wasn't just merely a, resuscit a recitation, resuscitation. Got to get that word out. It, it, it wasn't like any of those accounts that maybe we read from time to time or we hear in the news of people whose hearts stop beating or who see themselves leaving their bodies, heading down that, that white tunnel, only to be snapped, zapped back into life. Start, their hearts start beating again. They breathe, and all of a sudden, they're alive. Interesting fact is that those people are still mortal. They still die. This was no just ordinary miracle. And, and not to, to say that Jesus' other miracles were ordinary. Walking on water, <laughs> multiplying a few fish and some loaves of bread to feed 5,000 people with Baskets left over? Yeah. Healing somebody. Raising somebody from the dead. 
in bodily form. Lazarus, remember that story. Dead for four days. The stench of a decaying, rotting body. And Jesus says, no, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And he comes out and he eats and he's sitting in the house and people are starting to hear what had happened. It's more than just resuscitation. Resuscitation. See, I still get nervous. Lots of people believe in life after death. And I'm sure many of us have attended maybe a non-Christian funeral where people try to comfort one another by saying that this person is in a better place. They try to highlight some of the, the, the beauty of a person's life, and there's beauty in every person's life. Do they really have a a shred of evidence of that they're in a better place if we don't know for sure whether or not they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior? I don't know where that better place would be. We want to believe that. If, If we have that worldview, that philosophy of life that says, you know what, I don't believe in the Bible, this kind of stuff, I'm going to find something that fits the narrative, or I might be leave a little bit of the Bible. I'm going to take this part and this part, but the rest of it, eh, I don't like it. Jesus' resurrection proves that resurrection to a new kind of life is possible. His life demonstrated that. John 3.16 talks about that. We have a concrete reason for the hope that we have in Christ. Next, the resurrection directly ties any hope of living again to Jesus Christ. Eternal life happens that way or it doesn't happen at all. There is only one way to the Father, Jesus says. That is through me, in a relationship with me, believing who I am, who I say I am. Trusting me with your life. And third, since the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely linked with the death of Christ for, his, for our sins, we must take the, that part of the good news equally seriously. That resurrection vindicates Jesus' death, that he was the Christ dying for the sin of the world. He must, in fact, be the Savior and Lord he claimed to be. And that means we need him and him alone to forgive our sins and to give us eternal life. We have to put our faith in him. That's what it's all about. Jesus' resurrection tells us what a resurrected person is actually like and that there is really a body when we live again. I don't know if you've really thought about that. I keep pondering that. What is that going to be like in heaven? Am I going to have this same body? If, if I look at Scripture and, and Jesus didn't come out of that tomb as some little ghost that was floating around, he ate food. He drank with people. People touched him. In my simple way of thinking, there's a body. It's this body. It's this body with 
without any metal in the knee. It's this body without any hardware in the heart. It's this body without any thoughts that lead me away from my relationship with Jesus. It's this body where, where it's renewed and given for the purpose of worshiping and glorifying God. People put their faith in Jesus, will be raised like Jesus, and have a body. We also learn that a resurrection is not the natural course of things. It isn't Mother Nature working her thing out. It's a powerful act of God. It's God's will and God's grace given to those who trust him for their life and not given to others. We have to trust and believe. Finally, there's, there's this. All, all people will experience life after death in a manner of speaking. We know that because the Bible talks about that. The Bible says so. Christ's resurrection doesn't accomplish, uh, Christ's resurrection does accomplish that life everlasting. It's part of, of our relationship with him. What Christ's resurrection offers us is not existence, just existence after death, but life after death. Life with God, life no longer toxic with our sin and sorrow, life without weeds and wounds. With, without Jesus, it's more like we're just going to keep dying forever and ever. We're going to be in that eternal lake of fire, hell. With Jesus, we're going to really live. We're going to really live. I'm excited for that. Because we know that this world is not our home. We're, we're moving through this world, and in between that time, we have to pass on what we've received. We have to share the good news with our children as, as God blesses us with them when they're babies and as they start to grow, we talk about who Jesus is in that relationship with him. We encourage them to grow in their faith in, in their schooling years. We entrust them as parents then to a university, praying over them and giving them encouragement just as Amara and Gabe have received and so many others. Again, Paul said that he was the last of eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. He marvels at this not only because he saw Jesus long after that, that ascension had taken place, but because he was about the last person on the face of earth who deserved to see Jesus. Given his life before Christ, given the fact that he hated Jesus and Jesus' followers. God's grace offers this good news to even the worst of us. Paul, the persecutor and murderer of Christians, the hater of Jesus himself, is proof that no one is out of the reach of God's grace. Amen.
I am far from perfect. I try and I struggle and I have, I have my moments and it's only by God's grace. If, Paul, if God can save Paul from his sins and give Paul the holy honor of serving him, God can surely do it for anyone who believes in God and Christ who died for our sins that he was buried, that he was raised again according to the scriptures. So Paul concludes in verse 11, so then whether it is I or they, any of those eyewitnesses, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. I enjoy that. I enjoy the opportunity to do that at Ferris State University and I'm so grateful for Gabe and Amara and, and their friends who I get to, to walk alongside of in the high moments of life and the things that we celebrate and in some of those challenging things that really turn our stomach and make our heart troubled and, and challenge what we think and believe. My job isn't to save them. I can't. I can't save myself. My job is just to point the way to say, I know I know the way. And there's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so no matter where we, where we are, where we step, where we go sometimes, God is just waiting. He's saying, come on, come on back. Come on back. Yeah. yeah that was a pretty foolish thing that you did, right? But come on, come on under my arm here and let's, let's get going again. Back in 2008, 84-year-old Paul B. Gordon passed away. Mr. Gordon wrote a letter to all of his employees at this little company based in Grand Rapids, Gordon Food Services. Paul was a beloved employer, and he died of cancer early in May of 2008. And in the letter, he thanked his people for all their good work and for the support that they had shown him and his family. But he concluded his letter this way in the last paragraph. And this, this letter was written right around the time of Easter. While the outlook for my time here on earth is not long, please rest assured that my outlook for eternity is secure. I do not say that because of anything that I have achieved from an earthly perspective. The only reason I can speak so confidently is because of God's grace. The Bible says that we all fall short of God's standards. I am only made right with God because the penalty that belongs to me was paid by Jesus. That is what we're celebrating in this, this coming Sunday. Sunday of Easter. Jesus conquered sin and death and the grave when he rose from the dead. And it is my desire, my prayer, that each of you would come to experience that grace and have the same assurance of where you will spend eternity. This is what we preach. This is what we believe. 
takes courage. It takes strength. It takes faith. But our God is faithful. And I don't presume that. Just because we're in church, that everybody here understands that. I can't presume that at Ferris State. Even though students come and participate in FCS, Fellowship of Christian Students on Tuesday night, or Fellowship of Christian Athletes on Wednesday night, or small group ministries, I can't presume that. And so if there's people here this morning that have some questions, I know there's elders. Please, find your elder. Come talk to me. We'll be around for a little bit, but it is so important that we understand that. Living for God is so critical. Understanding who God is and how much he loves us is paramount. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we thank you so much for the grace that you've given us, for the love that you've shown us. We thank you for your mercies that are new every morning and the promises of your word. God, I pray that you would just continue to walk with us and journey with us in life when things are certain and when things are are troubling and when it feels like our world is shaken, to know that you hold us, that you embrace us in your arms, and that you promise never to let us go. I thank you so much for the privilege of, of passing on what I have received. And I pray that you would just help each and every one of us here to pass on what we have received that you are the Christ, the living Son of God. We give you thanks and praise in the name of Christ. Amen.